Hello and welcome back to SP Nation. I'm your host, Scott Piper. Guys, we are in the home stretch for the year officially. Thanksgiving is next week, and I cannot even believe it. It's like, I swear yesterday was like November 1st or something. Like, this month has gone by so insanely fast. And, um,. SP Nation was on hiatus last week, and Cryptscript, I think it's been on hiatus for like two weeks or something. Um, the reason for the hiatus is really because I was really needing to rebrand the show, uh, reboot it a little bit, and get it to where I'm not spending like 18 hours a week working on these shows. So, um, because that was a problem uh, because I was doing a lot of research for the episodes. Um, I was doing a lot of script writing and then I was getting to kind of to the point where I'm like, man, I'm, I'm doing all this writing and I'm doing all this production for the show. And, you know, I, I, I need to do something different. So that is why I'm proud to announce that SP nation is going to be working very closely with the Neil Haley Network to bring you better episodes of SP Nation. Full Motion, and it is coming out this week, y'all. Full Motion is officially happening this week. I am so relieved, I am so excited, and I am so ready to let that ship set sail. Um, Crypt Script is also coming back this week. I know it's been... Gosh, I don't even remember the last time I recorded for Crypt Script, and that's horrible on my part. So um, all three shows are coming fresh this week, and this is the first of the three shows, obviously. Um, we are taking a look at the 80s today, and we're doing something a little bit different. We're looking at a different way of looking at the 80s. I said that really weirdly. On this episode, I actually got to interview somebody. Bum, bum, bum. That's very exciting for me. I, along with Neil Haley, we interviewed Mr. Chris Clues, who is a speaker and an author. And Chris is a huge 80s pop culture fan. He lives, he breathes, his, his job essentially is the 80s. He's written two amazing books, and his plan, or what he does, is he takes pop culture from the 80s, and then he mixes it in with business and careers. And the conversation we had with him was very 80s-centered, of course, and it's very interesting to learn about how he does things and, you know, what, why he came up with these things. And he's just a really awesome guy. I hope you guys really liked the interview. I enjoyed interviewing him. And uh, I, I think you guys are really going to like it. Got a little sidetracked there. But before we get into the interview, how are you guys doing? Because the last week has been a bit of a 
uh, I don't know. Haven't been feeling the best uh, physically, so I was actually very glad for the hiatus from the show. Um, I know it's, it's kind of scary saying that I wasn't feeling very good over the last week because the entire time I was just constantly like, oh, my God, it's COVID. I'm dying. But uh, fortunately, it wasn't COVID. Um, actually thought it was and got that no swab test. And that is literally the worst thing I've ever had ever because the nurse who didn't mind, I swear she was reenacting Dracula where old Dracky gets stabbed with a stake because she jammed that freaking ear swab up my nose. Like she hated me. Um, but I got my test results back and it was negative. So very thankful for that. Um, also leaves me kind of nervous cause I don't know what the problem is because I'm still having a little bit of the issues with it, but I literally couldn't put off recording anything else. So, um, yeah, work. The show comes first. Um, but yeah, I, I want to talk about the eighties on this episode. You know, it, it's such a majorly iconic decade. Um, just pretty much everything you say, 1980s, it's iconic. It, it could be the crappiest movie, which is probably Jaws three or something. Um, and even Jaws three, it has its charms. You know, it's not the greatest movie ever. Uh, it, 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 I'm sure ain't no ET and back to the future, but I mean, it's, it's still, has got its entertainment value to it. So the one thing that I really wanted to get in with uh, Chris Clues and Neil Haley was, you know, why the 80s is so iconic and why it's, you know, so heavily remembered, you know, um, you can go into any store pretty much and find some sort of 80s related something, whether it's a T-shirt or um, I know Walmart has brought back a lot of the 80s action figures um you know they brought back transformers well they didn't bring them back they released like 80s inspired versions of transformers which i think are pretty cool um they brought back he-man i couldn't believe they brought back he-man until i was strolling down the toy aisle one day at walmart at a straight up boredom and i was like oh my god that's skeletor that's she-ra well not she-ra um Ah, I forgot her name. It's uh, Evelyn. That Evelyn, they had Beast Man, they had He Man, and I actually picked up He Man and Skeletor. And I was never a Masters of the Universe, you know, fan or anything like that. But I was just like, it's so cool and so different to see these toys back because, you know, you don't see toys like that anymore. I mean, Everything else in the toy all seems so bland, I would say, besides Legos. Like, Legos are awesome, and I'm not afraid to admit that. Legos are life. <laughs> um, but the toy aisle at Walmart and Target and stuff like that, it's so bland because it's like, 
you have your basic stuff like you have Power Rangers, you have uh, WWE, you have Marvel, but um, everything like that, it's all licensed properties, you know? There's nothing original on the shelves that, like, there's really nothing original on the shelves at all, unless you go into, like, the bargain toy base, the bargain toy barrel, pretty much. Everything is licensed. You know, you've got, like, Spider-Man and Iron Man toys. You've got, um, like I said, you have Transformers, which, yes, that's an 80s thing. Same thing with Teenage Mutant Turtles. I think those are still around in toy form. But, I mean, they're still technically original products, but they're also licensed toys at this point. Same thing with Power Rangers. Um, It's a licensed toy. You know, there's nothing original. Like, He-Man was... You know, they just you had some guys sitting around a room and just drawing these over freaking muscular dudes and made them into toys. You know, same thing with Transformers. Essentially, they took the uh, Transformers, which were originally a um, Japanese toy. And I don't remember what the Japanese name was. I think it was Diaclone. Don't quote me on that, because if it's not Diaclone, I don't want to piss off the people who made Diaclone. <laughs> but, um, you know, even even our Power Rangers, you know, they are transplants from Japan. You know, they were the uh, Super Sentai, you know, toy line. And, um, you know, the original Japanese story for Power Rangers, the Mighty Morphin season, especially, which is the first season we got. And in Japan, I think the Mighty Morphin series is like season freaking six or seven or something like that. And the White Ranger for Mighty Morphin, you know, Tommy Oliver, like the dude who as soon as he rolled in, like Jason was just the second rate bitch for everybody. Um, That White Ranger outfit and all the uh, scenes, I believe, in for that White Ranger. That's not even for the original Japanese version. That's from uh, the season before Mighty Morphin. So, little Power Ranger history for you guys. Um, but we're not talking about the 90s. We're talking about the 80s. Back to the Future, RoboCop, E.T., Terminator. Uh, I can't even think of what else. The Last Starfighter, Tron. Oh, gosh, what else? Just everything. A-Team, Miami Vice, Knight Rider, Ghostbusters, Beetlejuice, Stand By Me. Oh, my gosh. Just literally anything you can think of the 80s is amazing, popular. Hulk Hogan, Rowdy, Roddy, Piper in the WWF. Not the World Wildlife Foundation, but the World Wrestling Federation with Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Back before he was kind of this really jerk ass thing. And I, I still do like WWE. I do not, however, like WWE's practices as a company. And I think some of them can bite my butthole. Anyways. But yeah, like like I said, like everything it seemed like in the 80s was so just 
iconic. So it was a really interesting conversation talking with Chris about how, what makes something iconic in the eighties, you know, what to him is the most iconic thing of the eighties, because it's just not movies and TV shows and toys and wrestling and sports that was so iconic. You had music that was iconic. You had cars that were iconic. You had like everything was iconic. Disney world was really coming into its own in the eighties. You had Epcot that was opening in the eighties. Um, just everything looked so bright and so new and fresh. And there was such kind of a, uh, there was still a really futuristic vibe to the eighties. Like there's a lot of optimism for the eighties. Like everything was funner. Um, especially compared to nowadays. Cause I mean, shit guys, we got problems, problems today. And it's just like, I think that's also a huge reason why so many people cling back to the, that 80s time period is because things were, you know, a lot happier. Things were a lot funner. Things were a lot more original feeling. You know, everything now, it's like the iPhone, it's the same freaking phone that we started with back in, I don't know, 2008 or nine or whenever they came out. You know, everything's kind of stuck, I feel. There's nothing really iconic nowadays. Like, I was watching the Seahawks play tonight because, hey, I'm a huge Seahawks fan, and we beat the Cardinals, and it was kind of an ugly game, but I don't care. I'll still take a Seahawks win any day. Um, But they showed a few car advertisements for GMC and Buick, I think. And there was like one other, but I don't remember which one it was, but every single car that they showed looked exactly the same. Like there's no difference in the car models at all. And they're all SUVs. And I think for the Buick one, they were all black. Like, I'm sorry. I don't want the same shitty black SUV. And it's just like, they're, there's no interesting designs anymore. Like you in the eighties, you had the Pontiac firebird. You had to a lesser extent, the Chevy Camaro, um, the hillbillies Ferrari. Um, but yeah, you had the Pontiac Fiero. You had the, the Buick Skyhawk or Thunderhawk or whatever it was. You had the Fox body Mustang. You had, all these cool looking cars, even, you know, the Datsun, um, 280ZX and the 300ZX, those were cool freaking cars and they all look different. Even cars like the, um, Monte Carlo, it looks really different from the Caprice and the Caprice looks different from the Malibu of that time period. Everything looked different from one another. Everything looked individual back then. And even though a lot of those cars were just a bunch of big metal boxes on wheels, they all had some sort of cool little feature about them that made them, you know, stand out from one another. And I think, you know, coming into now from the 80s, I'm very thankful for updated like movie graphics and stuff like that, um, because I was actually back watching Jaws 4, The Revenge 
or whatever it is. And there's a, a scene in it where you can see all the mechanics that's holding that shark down. And that really took me out of the movie. And it's the same thing with like Jaws 3. And guys, I went on a huge Jaws watching marathon over the last few days. So that's why I'm talking about Jaws more. Um, and Jaws 3, that has some very, very bad effects. And it's solely because of 3D. And that 3D technology that came out back then that they were trying to vitalize as new and cool. And it made that movie look so freaking dirty. Like it made like the outlines just so murky. Like you were watching it underwater, which probably would have made the movie look better, I think. But (laughs) yeah, it was just like, but even with that though, they were still fun movies, you know, you you still watch the Lost Boys and the Lost Boys are still a huge movie now, even though the the vampires and Lost Boys aren't exactly the best in the world. But it's still way more cooler than Twilight. It's more iconic, I think, than Twilight, because I don't know. There's just something about like Lost Boys. Same thing with E.T. You know, E.T., you kind of know it's an animatronic, but at the same time, you love E.T. Same thing with Gizmo from Gremlins. You know it's a little furry animatronic, but you want Gizmo. (laughs) And you can't necessarily do that with, say, Detective Pikachu with uh, Ryan Reynolds. You can't do that because you know that there's no Pikachu there. It's not a physical prop. It's a computer-generated character. Same thing with Sonic. I thought Sonic was amazing. But Sonic's just a CGI character. And we can make CGI characters look so good. Like Godzilla, King of Monsters. It looks so good. But you know there's no Godzilla there, even in an animatronic form. But when you go back and you watch Alien... Alien 2, you know Stan Winston creature effects. They uh, they made the suits. There's somebody in those suits. And when it's not a suit, it's a big animatronic. And that makes the movie just a little bit more terrifying and just a little bit more, oh, crap, that's an alien, you know? It makes the movie more iconic in a sense and more standout versus... You know, the current aliens where, yeah, they look really scary and, you know, they would like rip your life apart, but it's a computer generated image again. So I think the 80s have such a major hold on you because it's really the last time where things were real, I would say. Um, Not even just from a movie standpoint, but from like a TV show. Like, you don't have a TV show today with a talking car, okay, that's going 250 miles an hour and jumping over a freaking lake or whatever, <laughs> you know? Night Rider was amazing, okay? And same thing with Miami Vice. Like, it was a cop show. And I'm not a huge cop show guy. I'm not a crime show guy because they are all the same, like you could say, Hey, is the CIA CSI or whatever it is, or is this law and order? And I would not literally be able to tell them apart at all. 
maybe actor wise, I'd be able to be like, oh, this is CSI, maybe. Um, I know LL Cool J is on one of them, I think. Um, yeah. But, you know, shows like Miami Vice and Chips, they were cop shows. Yeah. But they had this so cool, unique feel to them. Like, you don't see cops driving around in Ferraris and wearing white suits and uh, Tommies now at all. And if you do, you're like, hmm, I don't think this cop is, um, I think he's doing some side gigs, some only fans. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's like back then, like you loved Sonny Crockett and you loved Ricardo Tubbs because those two cops were just oozing coolness. Everyone wanted their white Ferrari or their black Ferrari Daytona. They wanted those white suits. They wanted to live on that houseboat. That was true. Eighties awesomeness. Same thing with the A team, like having Mr. T just, I pay the fool and just go around and beat the crap out of people. And, you know, the entire cast of the eighties, Murdoch face Hannibal, all of those guys are awesome beyond belief. And the fact that they, <laughs> you have someone like face knock out Mr. T <laughs> to get him on an airplane, dude, that is iconic to say the least. Um, and I don't think it would go over very well because Mr. T could probably seriously kill the crap out of face. Um, who was also in Battlestar Galactica in the late seventies. I believe he played Starbuck. Um, so I, and that's something that I, I, I hadn't watched Battlestar Galactica until after I watched, um, a team. And I saw that I was like, dude, it's freaking face. And then I went, I went back and watched a team over from scratch and I was like, I think like the first episode, they're at like Universal Studios. And I believe like two of the Cylons from Battlestar Galactica walk by. I'm like, dude, that kind of blew up. That blows your mind because you're like, it's Starbuck, but he's face. And he should have like kicked the crap out of those Cylons. <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting way too meta, I think, on it. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's just like there's so many good memories of the 80s and I, I could literally go on and make a whole little mini series about the 80s. But enough about this, enough about me. I want to present you guys to the interview with Neil Haley and Chris Clues. I hope you guys like it. We're live here. Uh, here on my page and uh, the Neil Haley show with SP Nation. I'm really excited about this new show we're launching together, simulcast with SP Nation. I'm excited to welcome the program, Skype, Scott Piper. Scott, how are you? We're live on Facebook on my personal page. People could be sharing it in different places today. I have to use my lighting, but everyone like and share this uh, live late night stuff. But I love the background of our guest. So go ahead and introduce our guest, Scott. Hey, I am Scott Piper, and I'm the host of SP Nation, and today we are here with speaker and author of the book series, What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us 
about today's workplace, Mr. Chris Clues. How you guys doing? Hey, Chris. I mean, hey, I, Chris. Am, I am blown away by your background. When I heard, when I saw your green screen, I said, holy cow, he has his own, in his basement, he has the Blockbuster. That's what it looks like. Isn't that Yeah, right? it's, uh, you know, listen, it's part of my brand. And, and every time I actually stand behind with this image behind me, it reminds me of being at a Blockbuster on a Friday night, sitting by the return bin and waiting for somebody to return the movie that I was looking for. All right. So I know that Scott has some really interesting questions and I'll have some follow-ups about the eighties. Love the eighties. It's my favorite time. And I think that Chris and I are the close to the same age, but Scott's a nineties guy, but loves the eighties. So go ahead and first. Yeah. Um, the first question I was doing a little bit of research on you and um, it, it seems you're so heavily in the eighties. What to you makes the eighties so nostalgia versus the sixties and the seventies? Like what is it about the eighties that really draws you in? And, you know, you, you've based a lot of your career around the eighties. So I was, I was very interested on what got you into that. Yeah. So that's a great question. Uh, you know, I'm a little biased because I grew up in the eighties. I was, uh, my formative years from 10 to 19 were in the eighties. So I'll tell everybody that you know, I pretty much did everything for the first time in my life in the 80s. So I'm a little biased there. But secondly, with 80s pop culture, what's really interesting is I believe that 80s, the 80s were the last decade where the people were able to choose what pop culture was going to be. And what I mean by that is when we got into the mid 90s, what happened was a lot of times a musician or a movie or an actor or anybody that would be in, in the pop culture scene, there was a lot of money put behind them, particularly with the music and the movies. There's a ton of money put behind them they had to be successful with that particular pop culture. In the 80s, they kind of gave us the choice. They threw a bunch out at us and they said, hey, what do you guys like? Tell us what you like. And that's why the 80s, I think, had so many one-hit wonders in music. And then we had so many different types of music. I'm sorry, so many different types of movies that were happening as well. Uh, you, you, they, they threw stuff out there and just said, let's see what sticks. And you guys, the, the, the audience can tell us what pop culture is rather than the other way around. Nowadays, it's kind of forced to us because, hey, we've invested $5 million in this person or this movie, $50 million in this movie. We've got to make that money back. So you need to like our pop culture. So, so true. And you know, it's interesting when you talk about that, it's because we could say, oh, you know what? They're out of it we we're done with, you know, we heard something bad about a certain person or a certain thing. And like, Hey, they were, so, they're so old now. And that's what we did, Chris. Right. Yeah. And, and the other thing is I, I would, I would want to point out the eighties pop culture. What's really cool today is, you know, you said that Scott's a nineties guy, right? So yep. what's, what's really cool about, uh, about the, you know, the, 80s pop culture is that it's kind of cross-generational. And I think part of it is because we have shows like Stranger Things out there, Cobra Kai, and it allows people to go explore 80s pop culture. They hear a Psychedelics First song in Stranger Things, song like Pretty in Pink, and they go down that rabbit hole on the internet. They look for the song Pretty in Pink and they say, oh, this is Psychedelic Furs. And it says, well, you might like The Cure and the Smiths if you like The Psychedelic Furs. And by the way, Pretty in Pink was a movie and John Hughes did it and he did all these movies. And all of a sudden you can discover all this great pop culture. In the eighties, if I wanted to know about the seventies and pop culture there, and I saw, I, I wanted to know who Led Zeppelin was or what they were all about. I had to go ask the guy sitting on the Camaro with the jeans jacket and the Led Zeppelin patch, what Led Zeppelin was. And I wasn't doing that. So, uh, you know, that was really our only way to get pop culture. It's a little bit different now. It definitely is uh, definitely a different time and a different place here as we're live here with Chris Clues. Uh, now, um, Scott, next question for Chris. 
what what gener- genre of TVs, music, uh, you know, wrestling and movies, like what genre really identifies the 80s more than one or the other? Because it, it seems like any anything that came out in the, that 10-year ten, ten time span, it was, you know, amazing, pretty much. You had such huge uh, athletes like, Hulk Hogan just dominating, you know, WWF on, you know, uh, Saturday nights. You had movies like Back to the Future, RoboCop, Terminator. You had TV shows like Knight Rider, uh, Miami Vice, A-Team. So with all these just huge, iconic um, media outlets, to you, what is the most um, important and most defining of the 80s of those topics? It's a great question. And you kind of hit on it right there when you were explaining all of those different things. What's great about 80s pop culture is that there was so much, uh, there was an explosion of creativity. And I think because of that, we had all of these different genres. If you think about music, for example, there were genres that were really kind of, if they weren't created in the 80s, they exploded in the 80s. Hip hop, for example, you know, hip hop is an 80s thing. There were a couple of songs in the late 70s, but really hip hop exploded in the 80s. What we call kind of uh, the candy rock with Poison and Motley Crue and all of those guys, that was 80s, right? These were things that it kind of exploded or were created or born in the 80s on the music side. And then when you get into the movies, you had this huge diversity. Uh, I would say that coming of age movies, Uh, When we think about high school coming of age movies like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, The Last American Virgin, movies like that, this kind of high school coming of age movie was something that really exploded in the 80s as well. Uh, Rom-coms, romantic comedies, as they would call them rom-coms now, I think they really had a big turn in the 80s and kind of started to explode also. And then you had the big action movies, the big action stars. I mean, before we had Arnold Schwarzenegger and Stallone and Wesley Snipes and Bruce Willis, you know, these guys, Chuck Norris. Uh, there was Bruce Lee, you know, and then maybe a couple of other guys, John Wayne, I guess you could consider kind of an action guy, but that eighties action exploded again. I think it was because there was just this explosion of creativity driven by the people who said, we want all of these things. And if I could point out one more thing about that with the music, I challenge anybody, if this is a really cool thing, go, go Google any week of any month of any year in the eighties and Google the top 40 music and go look at the top 10. The top 10 will blow your mind with the diversity. You'll have a top 10 that had Debbie Gibson next to The Cure, next to Def Leppard, next to Kenny Rogers, next to Prince. I mean, you want to talk about like an explosion. Oh, and then let me throw some LL Cool J in. So now you've got this massive diversity inside of your top 10 music every single week. And that made it awesome as well. And I think they're one of these characters is a brand in so many ways. Even I'm thinking about the Police Academy movies again, another big 80s thing, right? Wouldn't you agree? The Police Academy movies. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Gutenberg's going to be on my show tomorrow. And and, and so basically trying to reminisce about those things. But every there was just something really cool about anything in the 80s genre. And compared to other ones, and I think it's the brand. I think it was the time period. Who knows for sure, Chris, because I mean, just everything I remember, it's so great. We, I could jam out to 80s music all day long and just continue to listen to it over and over and over again on Spotify. And I don't know why, but there's not, there's not other genres like that. And it's, you know. Yeah, you know, and, and I want to point out something too as well, this cross-generational thing that we talked about earlier, because uh, it was going back to last last fourth, not this previous 4th of July, because we weren't really doing anything, but the July 4th before that, I was with a buddy and his girlfriend in the grocery store and I had a breakfast club t-shirt on. 
And the girl who was bagging the groceries said, that's my favorite movie. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. I said, how, how old are you? And she said, I'm 15. I said, I was 15 when this movie came out. How is this your favorite movie? And she said, all my friends, we love The Breakfast Club. We love those Ferris Bueller, all those movies. And I said, can I ask you what it is? And she said, the kids, they're real. The, the, the students, the, the kids in The Breakfast Club, they have the same problems we have. They're real. They're, they look like us. And I, I said to her, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, the, the high school movies today, the guy drives a $100,000 car. The girl looks like she's 30. It's not realistic. And we go back and look at those movies. They seem to be much, much more real. The, the characters are realistic and they had the same problems that they have today, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, definitely. Right. All right, next question, Scott. Um, like you were saying, the 80s has so many, you know, just phenomenal movies that made you want to, you know, be a part of that culture. Like you wanted to be a Ghostbuster. You wanted to, um, you wanted to fight crime with RoboCop. You wanted to be a Goonie. Um, Goony. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, there, there's just so many amazing movies that still hold up to this day and are still so heavily watched. Um, for me, it, it's not really a big movie, but I was a huge fan of Tron and the last starfighter because those were like the first real big CGI movies. And, you know, at the time they looked like, you know, eighties video games, but, um, th they have such a good charm about them that you're just like, you don't care that it, this looks kind of wonky a little bit. You still love the movie, but, um, what eighties movies do you feel like just don't necessarily hold up today if you sit down and rewatch them. That don't hold up. Wow, that's a mm. that's a really good question. Um, you know, I'm gonna get raked over the coals by '80s people for saying this, but uh, <laughs> I was so excited to rewatch The Explorers, and it didn't hold up. I, it just right. didn't hold up for me personally. Um, right. But I'll tell you, I think that. But without being too biased about the 80s, I do think that so many of the iconic movies actually do hold up. And that's why they are right. iconic. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, Coming to America. Fantastic movie, right? You could watch that movie today yeah. and think that it was, you know, based on the humor and, of course, Eddie Murphy being awesome. Yeah. You could think that that movie was was made in, you know, 2017, 18. And right. they're actually doing a sequel to it right now. It just yeah. got put on hold with everything that's going on. Uh, but yeah, I would say that, you know, the Explorers is the one so far that I can think of right now that I felt like didn't necessarily hold up. I mean, obviously there's some scenes and humor and stuff that may not hold up in 2020 today. Um, but overall, I just, I, that was the movie that I would point to as I've been rewatching so many of them. The special effects right. of Flash Gordon, maybe that would not hold up either. Yeah. Stuff down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's for sure. I, that's, um, and it's still a great movie. You know, that reminds me actually, as I, if I think about it, a movie like Crawl or um, uh, The Beastmaster, which was one of my favorite kind of B movies from the 80s, Mark Singer. Uh, they may not hold up as well either, but right. they really kind of were goofy to begin with. So made them awesome anyway. Well, um, you know, thinking about it, uh, I, I'm a huge Bill and Ted guy. I love Keanu Reeves and I love Alex Winter in that movie. It, it, it's just a light good-hearted movie like the the worst thing about it is bill gets sent to military school or something like yeah that but um i, I was re-watching it and i was like you know i bet there's no one currently no kids today that have any idea what a phone booth is so that that kind of made me question that if that was something that actually holds up because of that 
such a key part of that movie revolving such a uh, kind of out of date technology like that. So it, I mean, you can kind of get away with that with something like Ghostbusters or, you know, Terminator because it's like from the future or it was made by scientists, but you know, something like a phone booth where, you know, you actually have to put a coin in to call somebody, yeah. you know, it's like, now that everyone has, they have a phone essentially glued to their hands. So it's just like, uh, does it hold up? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting when you think about what we have today versus what we had back then, you know, technology wise, or just the basic things that we did in life. And I do think that, yeah, there's, there's probably questions, but here's the great thing. You put the movie on pause and you Google it. What's a phone booth? I mean, that, right. that's the option that you have today if you yeah. don't know. And we didn't have that option back in the 80s if we were watching a movie from, you know, the 60s or 70s. One other right. thing the 80s does is many different little scenes we say over and over ahead get in our heads. Yes. Like, uh, and, and you think of any movie and you say, okay, this is a scene or a situation. I'm going to replay it over and over again. What are your favorites on that? Yeah, so one of the things about the 80s, very quotable movies. Uh, some, of the, some of the great quotable movies of all time. Um, for me, you know, I could really look at a couple of scenes in Ferris Bueller and The Breakfast Club, um, Coming to America, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, all had some really, really classic scenes. But I actually just, you know, when I wrote the books, uh, What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace, I actually started to look at some of these movies from a different perspective. And I found scenes that were great scenes in the movie, but may not have been the ones that people picked out. And can I give you kind of an example? Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's take Coming to America since I've been talking about that a little bit. Uh, Prince Akeem, who happens to be one of the great movie characters, in my opinion, of all time when it comes to teaching us lessons about leadership and, and how to be a, a good human being, good solid citizen. At one point in the movie, if you remember, he says, uh, when you think of garbage, think of Akeem. And it's when he's taking the job yeah. Sweep, uh, sweeping the floors and taking out the garbage at McDowell's fast food restaurant. And here's this guy who was a prince in his home country. And what does he do? He says, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody I'm a prince. I'm going to go to a farm land and I'm going to make my own way. I'm going to earn my own way. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to stay modest. And this, this whole scene of when you think of garbage, think of Akeem really stuck out, stuck out to me because it really showed uh, his his humble his humble nature, his modesty, and then of course, an elite from a leadership perspective, it taught us a really valuable lesson about how unearned leadership creates pleasers. You know, when he was born as a prince into royalty, he didn't really earn his leadership role, so everybody just wanted to please him. And then he goes and he does this: when you think of garbage, think of Akeem, and he works in the fast food restaurant. He earns his position, and earned leadership creates believers. So people see that you've earned your way, and they'll believe in you. They'll follow you for that reason that they believe in you rather than this kind of unearned leadership where they just want to please you. Yeah. So, so, so true. So true. I, that's a great uh, point because he, they really wanted to work hard in whatever they did, regardless of what it was. And that could be really something to teach people is, you know, a leader goes and tries anything that's uh, a challenge, even if it's the lowest end thing. And that's how you earn respect yeah. and develop that's right. relationship and that's where Akeem got in the relationship with Mr. McDowell that yeah. led to him in that process. He knew I have to please dad by his trade. So I'm going to start from the ground up and show I can. And then he had success and he was able to overcome. But once Mr. McDowell found out that he's a king, that changed and he showed that. So it showed a lot of different aspects of society today in the story. 
where yeah. Akeem saw it. Hey, I, this is what I got to do. Well, Mr. McDowell said, well, it's money and influence and it's just me. And so, yeah, it's a, always uh, interesting. I can't wait to that remake for sure. Yes. And to answer your question about the scene coming to America, the barbershop, I mean, that's just a classic, yeah. you know, all the barbershop scenes are absolutely classic yeah. from coming to America. And, uh, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. actually was uh, the, the kid who was getting his haircut Holy in uh, the barbershop when they first walked in. I did not yeah. know. All right, Chris, yeah. next question. I mean, all right, Scott, next question. So how did you how did you get into using the 80s for your um, your your business essentially like that seems like such a out of left field type thing for you to bring into especially to a uh, business yeah. environment you know when you you're talking about like graphs and charts and uh, finances and all that and then you you end up talking about uh, the Goonies or Back to the Future or Breakfast Club or something like that like how did how did that even get started so you kind of hit on it right there when you said graphs and charts and financial reports and all of that stuff so uh, you know the business world can be um, repetitive particularly when it comes to teaching business lessons and teaching workplace culture lessons and things like that. And I've been in the world business world for a long time. And I saw that, you know, you walk into a meeting, they were going to do a presentation on X, Y, or Z and it tended to be the same thing. Maybe the slides changed a little bit and I thought we could do better, but also I was in my career for a long time. I loved marketing, but I felt like there was something else for me. And I was kind of having a self pity party of one, one day at home watching the breakfast club and Bender says, screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. And I thought, man, my screws have fallen out. I'm in an imperfect place. What am I going to do to fix it? Am I going to just pick up those screws and put them back in and just kind of go do the same thing? Or am I going to get some new screws? Maybe I'll get a brand new door with some new screws and put it in and walk through that door and see what's there. And that's what I did. And so the next day, The Outsiders was on. And Johnny Cade says, you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. And I was 47, 48 years old. And I decided at that moment, it was time for me to go make myself be what I want. And I actually have that on my coffee mug that I drink out of every morning just to remind me. So it was those two quotes and those two movies that really drove me to say, hey, maybe there's something here. I know 80s pop culture really well. I know the business world well. Well, How do I put these together and create something that I can make a career out of? And I wrote an article on what the Breakfast Club taught us about the workplace and put it on LinkedIn and people responded. And I thought, I wrote another one of Ferris Bueller and work-life balance. And I thought maybe I have something here. And I, I self-published the first book, very small one. My first book, just to give everybody a heads up, if you go to purchase the first one, it's about 80 pages. I self-published it. I had no idea what was going to happen. It's a fun book. It's by no means deep. Uh, I tell people, you know, a couple times in the bathroom, you'll be done with it if you're a bathroom reader. Uh, then the second book I actually published with a publisher and it's a much more extensive book, much deeper, a much better product. And I was still working at full time and I would take my paid time off to go speak at conferences. So I take my vacation days to go speak at conferences when they hired me. And then I decided one day that it was time to make my move and go for it. And okay. I left the corporate world a year and a half ago, never looked back. Well, I, you definitely are great at figuring out your brand. But I just, when I just get on, look at the, the t-shirt, you have the green screen and then probably have a coffee mug right next to you. That's probably something 80s. You just try to live the 80s and it's such a great idea because now when so what do you teach kind of explain mm -hmm. what you teach the corporate world is it yeah. like so what was your expertise before putting them together your 80s pop culture knowledge and the business world 
So my, I spent 20, 20 plus years in marketing. So that was my, uh, that was what I did for a living. But anytime you work inside of the workplace in the corporate world for that long, you are part of workplace culture. And so there's a lot of things that, that kind of make up workplace culture. And what I focus on with my 80s pop culture lessons can be a variety of things. There's leadership, there's workplace culture, there's marketing, sales, there's inclusion. Goonies teaches us an incredible lesson about inclusion. And so I take these lessons from all of these different areas of the workplace and I can talk to basically any organization with any theme. So I've talked to organizations about leadership and I've identified 80s pop culture lessons from leadership. I've done the same with inclusion, with marketing, uh, with workplace culture in general. So really the great thing is I, I have probably 130 or 140 lessons now from 80s pop culture. Uh, one of the best ones I have actually, if you guys are music guys, is um, from Prince. And uh, I love Prince. He's one of my favorites. And I learned this story about him. If you guys want me to share it, I, if, I, sure. if we have time to share it, I can share it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this is a leadership lesson. If you like Prince, you're going to love this, this story. So back in 1987, Prince was the king of music. And I know that everybody says Michael Jackson was the king of pop and he can have that moniker. Yeah. But Prince was the king of music. Uh, because a lot, a lot of people don't know beyond just the music, he was actually writing music for other people, Sinead O'Connor, the Bangles, on and on and on. And Suzanne Vega was an alt singer. And she had a song called Left of Center. And then she had a song called My Name is Luca. If you remember that song, uh, I live on the second floor. I live upstairs from you. Mm -hmm. It's a, I'm not really good at singing, so that's all you're going to get. But the, uh, so Suzanne Vega comes out with this song, My Name is Luca. <laughs> and Prince hears this song and he's so moved by it that he penned a handwritten note to her. And it said, Dear Suzanne, Luke is the most compelling piece of music I've heard in a long time. There are no words to tell you all the things when I, that I feel when I hear it. I thank God for you, Prince. And he took this handwritten note and he, got a, he delivered it to her somehow, some way. Because remember, at 87, no digital means to get anything anywhere. He right. delivers this note to her. Somebody delivers it to her. And we know this because in 2016, when he, passed, when he passed away, Suzanne Vega put this out on her social media to let people know the kind of guy he was behind the scenes. And what he taught us was this idea of sharing the stage. So here he is, you know, the, the king of music. And he shows us the difference between rulers and leaders. That when rulers get the stage of success, they tend to try to keep everybody below it. They don't want to share that stage because they're afraid somebody might take the spotlight from them. Leaders share the stage of success. And this is what he did. He's on this huge stage. He sees what Suzanne Vega is doing. He says, I see you. I see you doing something great. And I'm going to let you know because I want to share this stage here. And you know that gave her a boost of self-confidence, right? And yes. one of the really important things it teaches us is about encouragement. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes in the business world, you can't always give that raise or promotion that you want to give. But you can give encouragement. And encouragement doesn't cost a thing. And what it can do for someone else, particularly like in, a, in the position of Suzanne Vega and Prince, I mean, think about what that could do for her, again, with her, with her self-confidence. And yeah. so he showed us a really, gave us a really important message about leadership. Share that stage. If you have that stage of success and you, do, you see somebody doing something great, let them know. Don't be afraid. Great leaders will share the stage. That's great. That's a great story. All right, Scott, next question. <laughs> um, you actually had taken my question about uh, sharing stories. <laughs> um, if, if you could combine two pieces of media from the 80s, like who what would you combine really because for me like the thought of having like ghostbusters go after beetlejuice like that would be just so mind-blowingly awesome and i think like a tim burton's beetle 
uh, Tim Burton's Ghostbusters would be phenomenal, especially with Harold Remus's writing and Dan Aykroyd's writing. Like, so what would you consider to be your, you know, your dream combo for the eighties? Wow. That's a really good question. The first thing that came to mind was like, you know, Rick, a Rick Astley mashup, you know, Astley mashup, yeah, Rick rolls that everybody does. But no, um, uh, wow. That's, that's a really good question. I've never been asked that before. Um, ooh, man. I'd have to, I have to give that one some thought. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, maybe Jeff Spicoli as Marty McFly. That'd be fun. Oh yeah. I like that. <laughs> that would be good. That's great. And so it's interesting, Chris, I just always want to interview 80 stars. Well, they end up always the ones at the comic cons. If you notice that it's 80 stars, they're always at the comic cons. You want to get the opportunity uh, to interview them and all that stuff. But uh, one thing I want to find, find out is you wrote the book. Do you go to corporations and work with corporations? Who do you work with? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, um, so right now I'm speaking virtually, obviously, just like everybody else. Uh, to a lot of organizations. So it can be anybody from a, an organization like I just recently spoke to uh, women in insurance and financial services. Um, I also spoke to Visa recently. So wow. it can be large companies. It could be organizations and associations. And I'll be speaking in February to the University of Florida's Journalism and Communication School. So uh, universities, organizations, associations, companies, pretty much anyone, anyone that has a workplace culture or anybody that has a, a culture in general whether it be a university or a workplace or an organization. You know, and one other thing, Chris, is so you are marketing. Did you work as a marketing director for a, a corporate a, a corporate firm yeah. or what did you, is that yeah. what you did? Yeah, I did actually. My first job uh, was with Planet Hollywood in the mid nineties when it was super hot property, right? So yeah. I did marketing there. Uh, back when people would wait two and a half hours for a burger at the Planet Hollywood Orlando. True story, they really would. And uh, so I worked at Planet Hollywood at first and I, kind of went to a lot of different industries, but I, I spent some time in the luxury watch industry. Uh, I was with a few ad agencies. I was with um, some financial firms and then most recently with DHL uh, before I left the corporate world. And aren't you happy you left to go on your own? I love it. I, I explain to people that, you know, <laughs> going on your own, I relate everything to the eighties. So when people say, what's a, what's a day like when you're alone, when you're on your own? And I said, well, it's, it's equally exciting and terrifying. So I, I kind of say, it's like when I was 13 years old, 1983, there's the excitement of strapping on my shoulder pads and my, my, my equipment for football, knowing that I'm going to go out and smash somebody and they're going to smash me. And then we're going to get up and do it again. And that was a really exciting part of my, of my 13 year old life versus the terror of asking a girl to dance for the first time when I was 13. And that is pretty much every day when you go on your own. You have that excitement and that terror, excitement and terror. That's a but great it's, point. It's awesome. you made it. Yeah. That's a great point for sure. All right, Scott, do you have any other questions for Chris? Uh, how, how many books do you have out right now? And are you working on another one or you got other uh, projects going on? Yeah, great. Thanks. So I have two books in my series, What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace. The first one, as I said, it's kind of like, uh, we'll call it an appetizer. The second one is okay. a much deeper book. If you're looking for something deep, I always suggest the second book rather than the first one. The first one is just a kind of a fun stocking stuff for read. I, I say, you know, to compare it to the 80s, I would say it'd be like, uh, it would have been next to Truly Tasteless Joke Books and Spencer's Gifts. Like that's what the first book is kind of like, where the second one is a much more in-depth business book. Uh, but, okay. but with a lot of fun, a lot of 80s, 80s pop culture references. I, right. uh, I wrote a sh short story called Coffee, Love, and a Cross-Country Road Trip, which has absolutely nothing to do with 80s pop culture, 
but it does have some 80s pop culture references. I just finished the first draft of a children's book uh, that will have some 80s pop culture references as well. Um, like, you know, one of the characters, one of the characters named is Ashley, but she's from Alphaville, which is, Alphaville was an 80s, great 80s band. Uh, you know, and you have, you have Ferris from Footloose, who's another character. He's from the town of Footloose. So I, I did that. And now I'm working on the third book. And this one is going to be 80s pop culture, but it's going to be um, life lessons from 80s pop culture yeah. instead of workplace lessons. So I'm going to be diving into movies like Vision Quest. If you've ever seen that, one of my favorite 80s movies. Uh, I'll be diving into Vision Quest to teach us some life lessons along with nine, nine other movies. And Scott, for you, I'm probably going to throw a 90s movie in there that feels 80s. Awesome. So, awesome. Yeah. You see, and you I do a lot of marketing. Cons- uh, what's you, that? You love your job getting to research all this stuff and then work. It becomes what you get to pay paid for. That's right. right. That's right. All these- what are you yeah. doing today? I'm watching the breakfast club again. Maybe I'll find <laughs> something out of it. You know, and I, and you got to be excited about things like Cobra Kai and all this stuff coming out and stranger things. And I love Absolutely. the Goldbergs. The Goldbergs are my favorite show. It's so funny. And, you know, yeah. bringing those eighties re- references and what happens next in the 1980s, who knows? Uh, yeah. I wonder what, 2020s are going to be right after our 2020 we have what will the 2020s be for sure we'll never know but uh it was great work best place we can find information on you chris where can we go yeah so i'm all over social media my instagram is at chris clues 80s 80s my twitter handle is at 80s pop culture believe it or not at 80s pop culture was available amazing um chris clues on facebook chris clues on linkedin my website is Chris Clues, C-L-E-W-S, Chris, C-H-R-I-S, C-L-E-W-S dot com. Uh, you can reach me there th- for speaking gigs as well. Um, you can find me at cclues1, C-C-L-E-W-S-1 at gmail.com if you just want to email me or reach me through the site to talk about speaking opportunities. And um, yeah, I mean, those are, those are basically the places and my two books are on Amazon, of course. Um, great holiday gifts for those of you that are starting to think about shopping for that person in your life that loves the 80s right awesome scott anything to add this is he's so awesome he's such a great guest i think i'm i think i'm covered man like i'm very excited i, I think i'm gonna have to pick up your book chris and check it out i appreciate it yeah. I, I would leave you guys with a really great quote from the 80s that okay. i think everyone can live by uh and that is that life moves pretty fast if you don't stop to look around once in a while you could miss it and that's obviously fair, you know, the poet laureate Ferris, Ferris Bueller. So, and that's true. And it's right. funny, you watch the movie now compared to when you saw it as a kid, you see a lot of different thoughts. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And especially, yeah. I love the ending uh, when the principal's on the bus. They, oh, yeah. That was so funny. It's just, and that's not even, you know, the, the very end, actually, after the credits. You yeah. know, I think they were the first ones when the credits stopped rolling to have that little extra scene. Yeah. that all of the you know the um marvel i think it's all the marvel movies do now in fact deadpool kind of uh spoofed it uh where they had him at the end of the credits he came out and he said you're still here it's over go go home go that was actually a ferris bueller thing so and surprising ferris bueller never had a sequel uh, and i'm very glad for that <laughs>
<laughs> but it, it's again it was on cbs only a month or two ago cbs is doing a great job showing older movies yeah and that's a great uh part of it but you know what chris i start thinking about it and scott probably does too there you could just have so many segments just on movies alone in the 80s because yeah. again there's just so yeah. many or tv shows and different things and they're all from the 1980s and they all kept going so hey let the yeah. 80s keep living on and chris i appreciate you stopping by yeah, thank you guys. Really appreciate the time. Stay rad, everybody. All right. So that was a guest special podcast of SP Nation and the Neil Haley Show. Take care, guys. All right. Welcome back to the show. It was so good talking to Chris Clues and Neil Haley. Uh, Neil is going to be joining SP Nation for the foreseeable future. Uh, definitely giving me a hand on a lot of things and helping set up a lot of stuff. So I want to give a huge thank you to both these guys for coming on the show. I, I could probably talk eighties with Chris for ever and not get bored. Cause I think he has a lot of really cool stuff to um, really get into. And I'm sure we're going to have him back on the show at some point. Um, but that's going to be it for this episode. Make sure you guys are following our Facebook page, which is SP nation. And uh, you can also follow the Crip Script page so that you guys know when I'm coming up with new episodes for each show. And if there's anything that comes up, hey, you guys are the first to know. So have a great day. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>